I think it's great because it's you know it's bringing more people to the games and it's 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 creating more education about you know the different different backgrounds of people, ongoing traumatic impacts of that, um, and what we can do to 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 try and build a better nation. And tell there's some some stuff going on inside their head the minute they walk through the door. So I'm not going to absolutely smash and bash and demand that kid. Hello, welcome to the Kennel NRL podcast. Today we have a special guest on, but before we do that, can I get you please to like and subscribe uh, to our channel, like this video, it helps boost us up. Uh, we've got so much content coming up and we're preparing for season 2024. I'd like to welcome Dibbo. Welcome Dibbo. Oh, it's good to be back, you know. It's been quite the layoff, but yeah. yeah There's a lot happening in the background um, and our guest is Joe Williams. Pleasure lads. It's uh, We've been trying to tear this up for a little bit, so it's, it's good to get on and connect and uh, we, you know, a couple of different mutual mutual contacts that we know, so it's it's always good, and it's always good to be uh, back yarn with some some of the Bulldogs family, mate. I don't, uh, I know that my background's blurred because my my son's got uh, uh, Parramatta Eels gear all over his bed, so uh, don't hold that against me. <laughs> Go the Eels. Hey, if I knew if I knew your son was a Parramatta supporter, I might have second guessed the interview. No, I'm kidding. Go the Eels. <laughs> or he chose he chose the right side. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon, Joe. Uh, we've tried, but this is probably about the 17th time we tried to get it connecting out a few technical issues, but Joe's a patient man. Um, so thanks once again, Joe. Um, I guess I'd like to start sort of by asking you a little bit about rugby league. Um, first and foremost, who do you currently support as a team in the rugby league? Uh, I'll, I'll shoot from the hip. Uh, um, you know, I, I spent most of my time at the Rabbits, so... I'm pretty staunch. I'm pretty staunch with the rabbits. Um, you know, a couple, couple of my, um, well, well, at least one of my, one of, sorry, uh, a, a couple of my kids actually. They, they, they love the rabbits. Um, my, my oldest boy, uh, my, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, and then my, and then my, my youngest boy who lives, uh, lives here with me now. He's like, he's this sort of kid that cries when they lose and things like that. So. Um, but my, my other, my other little son, he, uh, he, he sort supports para and he's absolutely staunch with para. Uh, and my, my, my youngest daughter, so I've got five kids, my youngest daughter, she just supports whoever, whoever my middle boy supports. So, uh, she's, she's para this week. Um, we'll see who she is next week when, when, when the season rolls around again next year. Well, so you yourself, you're, you're still Rabbitohs man, still, the still runs deep. Yeah, I've, I've done a little bit of work. Uh, with the rabbits uh, over the years, I guess um, you know I did. I did actually this season. I uh, did some some on ground MCing and stuff like that um, with their Indigenous round, which was which was a cool. Uh, I guess it was a cool um, opportunity, one but experience as well. Just to I guess be back out there and um, you know introducing the players before the game. You know, like you know the the, the hype man. Um, you know, you got to get the got to get the crowd going. So it was. It was one of those things, and it was it was a pretty cool special actually because they they highlighted a lot of indigenous sports stars from across the South Sydney region, you know. So um, it was it was cool to be out there that night, and it was a really good really good night. Joe, do you find? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I notice probably um, South Sydney resonates the most with the um, indigenous community. Do do you find that South Sydney Rabbitohs do more towards the indigenous community, like? As in, they probably invest more of their time and efforts. Is that probably why they're the most followed amongst the indigenous community? 
I think historically, historically, you know, like there's there's a there's a big Aboriginal population, obviously in Redfern, and then you know out in La Perouse as well, but but right throughout the South Sydney district, um, you know, there's a high high highly populated Aboriginal area, so there's connections there, you know, um, and you know, Aboriginal people, um, we've been grassroots people, you know, and and I guess uh, if South is in your first team, then the second team, so um, you know, like what what I have noticed as well is that. The NRL, um, they're doing a hell of a lot better now than they ever have. And I, I think it's obviously, you know, sports are product of the country. The country's whilst, um, you know, a couple of, you know, a month or so ago, as far as the, you know, the, the referendum was was a big disappointment for a lot of, for a large part of the community. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's good to see that there is, there is more trying to be done. Um, whilst I don't think it's, it's not perfect, and you know we we always strive for strive for perfection, but you know things are things are getting better. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things that I'd love to sort of uh, just dive into a little bit. Um, firstly, Indigenous Round. I want to ask, what do you think of Indigenous Round? Do you think that it's and as you say, the NRL is getting better. I think that the NRL has a lot to improve, but it really is sort of starting to put its money where its mouth is in certain issues. So what do you think of Indigenous Round? And then also, I guess, as an extension of that, what do you think of Multicultural Round? Because last year's or 2023 Multicultural Round, I saw it more um, uh, representative of each person's background um, compared to years before. I think they really highlighted that. A lot of the clubs went out of the way to highlight their players' um, sort of ethnicity, and I, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Indigenous Round and also sort of by extension the multicultural round? Again, I, I, think it's, I think it's getting better. I don't think it's where it needs to be, but I think it's getting better, you know, and it's, it just comes with further education and further awareness and, and people in the right places to be able to make the decisions to be able to have those things right. So, you know, there's more representation now of, of, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people within, I guess, the, you know, the head office of, of say, the NRL and, and so forth like there's you know specific programs and stuff like that and then there's and then there's you know um we we need to i guess that the game is highly populated by you know the pacific nations now within the nrl so you know i i definitely think um that that australia is a multicultural place and you know sport is a byproduct of that right so um you know we're seeing more people from more nations and backgrounds which i think is fantastic i think it's great because it's you know it's bringing more people to the games and it's 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 creating more education about you know the different different backgrounds of people um you know i, I reflect on you know i i'm someone who always tries to learn and i reflect on um just just recently i stayed in a, a small a small town Hotel in a small town, uh, a motel, sorry, and um, it was an it was an Indian, uh, a, a Sikh family that that um, that that ran ran the hotel. I uh, ran the motel, sorry, um, and it was their local. Um, it was their celebration, their yearly celebration. Um, Diwali is it the the, the Diwali um, celebration? So they like they sat there, and I sat there and, and wanted to learn. So I think. You know, when, when we're talking about a multicultural country, um, as I, I always talk about, you know, like the NRL or sport is just a workplace. Um, and, you know, whilst we love it and, you know, we, we live and breathe it, don't get me wrong, but it is a workplace. And, you know, we need to be respectful of the different backgrounds, 
different, you know, different uh, religions and, and, and things like that for, 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 the, for the different people who represent within those, within those codes. So um, you mentioned something I think is really, really important uh, about, you know, finally recognizing and identifying, um, you know, the, the plays that come from sort of Pacifica background and, and how large of a contingent they make up. Uh, I think it's, it's excellent, especially with the Pacific Championship that we had to really start to hone in on these these players. Um, and how and the thing is, they have great connection with the culture. It's not like they've come over here and sort of forgotten sort of the culture. You see, when they win, they wear these, you know, the cultural sort of um, those necklaces made of chocolate and lollies, and and just seeing them, and it's like it's so great because you see, cert, like our country empowering some of these people that have come, made Australia their home, and playing. And, and as you say, like rugby league and sport is always an extension of the culture that exists in the country, and that's what I like. Why, why I love why you know focusing on. Number one, the indigenous. I love indigenous round. I think that it's my favorite round. Honestly, the indigenous jerseys are just incredible. Like they're yeah. my favorite jerseys. And 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 you know beyond the the aesthetics of it, to to recognize uh, the place of indigenous people in Australia, uh, like you know a lot of people say, oh you know keep politics out of sport. But you don't. You, that the, the world doesn't work that way. You don't just uh, apoliticize things because you don't want to talk about a particular subject, right? Politics and sport are intrinsically linked like you look at for example now the government wanting to put in 600 million dollars to fund a png team i have no problem with that but how do you take politics out of sport when the government is looking to fund a, a team for 600 million dollars like there's some the, something behind that yeah of course there is you can't you can't your resources you can't apoliticize it and so when i see um you know indigenous players being proud of their culture not being afraid to speak their minds i think that you know, especially in rugby league and, and the support that they've seen, I think it's fantastic. And, and, and you know, like one of the things that I, I find really disturbing sometimes is when some of the indigenous players say, we don't want to sing the national anthem, right? And I, I've, I've never been connected to that national anthem. But regardless of whether you are, but as, as indigenous people, or, or as anyone, you could be anyone, I could be a Lebanese and say, you know what, I don't want to sing the, the, the Australian anthem. And, and you know, the media wants to target them. And, and I, I just, it doesn't really, like, it, the, the dots don't connect. Like, why are you honing in on this like these people th there's a culture a 60,000 year connection to this culture this yeah. this uh, this anthem's 30 years old 40 years old yeah um what, what are your thoughts on that joe uh it's been quite it's been quite uh publicized around my thoughts around that sort of stuff i um back in 2000 and 2017 maybe 16 something like that um i i uh a little bit punchy um, so my memory's not not wonderful but uh uh, I, I I was actually awarded the the uh, the Australia Day Citizen of the Year um, in Wagga, and um, you know it was a it was a beautiful night, and you know they everybody in the in the, the auditorium um, stood up for the national anthem, but I firmly remained in my seat um, as I had done for many years, and um, nobody was none the wiser. There's a few hundred people in the room, nobody was none the wiser. Um, you know the what the, the the awards not went on. I was actually announced the winner. Got up, delivered a you know a speech about you know the the the, the stir I guess a stirring speech and a call to action from community that we need to we need to start to recognise a colonial past and the damages that it has done. Not just two hundred and you know thirty five years ago, the ongoing traumatic impacts of that, um, and what we can do to 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 try and build a better nation. Um, you know, moving forward. And, you know, it was, I, I was actually, 
in I, I'm, I went to Sydney the, the following morning to to actually celebrate as I do every year down at um, down at Yarbin, the big the big event down in in, in Sydney Park, um, and just at brought the the park down at Broadway there, and um, my, my my phone was was running hot with messages and and calls from all of the media back home, um, and nobody knew about it, right? Said that Joe didn't stand up for the anthem. Um, and, uh, like it just, it, it took away everything from the actual award and, and why I got the award. The award, the, the reason I got the award was for around the work that I'd done in communities around, you know, suicide and suicide prevention and mental health. And, and, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a really hot topic back then as it is now. Um, and, and, and it just went like, it went viral. Um, the fact that you know this guy was was given an, an Australia Day award and didn't actually stand up for the anthem, and then and then I, I wrote a couple of I wrote a couple of articles um, actually for NITV, like just explaining my stance around what it is, and and you mentioned that you know the the anthem itself isn't you know isn't even forty years old, um, or the fact that it's you know been stated as the anthem in my lifetime we sang God Save the Queen, um, you know the, the original song is a five verse song about England. You know, people don't actually know the facts of this stuff. And and I started to talk about that. And and then that's what people are like. And, and, and you have a look at, well, the people are like, without, you know, don't bring sport and politics into it. But you, but you have a look at, like, people bring politics into sport r- rather than, you know, don't not mixing it that way. Because you have a look at, you know, what happened with Adam Goods, what happened with Eddie Betts, what happened with all of the... You know, like all the all the media attention that happens with Latrell and the NRL around this sort of stuff, like like it, it seems that people get disgruntled when it's speaking about the 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 common narrative that's been here for you know X amount of years since it, since you know colonization of 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 this country. So um, it's only when you 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 start to challenge that narrative that you know people love they love Latrell they love. Um, you know all the different the different players. You know Adam Goods, Eddie Betts, all these different players when they're kicking goals and doing anything, but they only seem to love those players when they're be quiet and do what they're told, right? So, so that's the challenge. That's the narrative we need to start having. The conversation we need to start having is why people get so uncomfortable around coloured people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the first people of this country that has been here for thousands and thousands of years why you get so challenged when we don't do what you want us to do right it speaks directly to a colonial past around slavery and everything like that you know so we need to we need to challenge those conversations and and start to step back and push back about these things a little bit you know um because that's the only way we like you can't you can't heal from a a a past that's extremely painful for one people and when you just constantly ignore the damages that it does. So I say good on those brothers, good on those sisters for, you know, for for stepping up and 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 doing what they what they truly feel, right? Because that's what it is. It's about what they truly feel. It isn't about trying to grab attention or anything like that. It's about what they truly feel. That what we talk about around our kitchen tables. You know what we talk about to our families and our friends. And what we truly feel, we're getting to a place now where we can truly stand in the comfort, truly stand in the truth of our people and 
we be comfortable about it. For a long time, we weren't allowed to. For a long time, it wasn't comfortable because of the racial um, charged violence that we that we uh, you know are, are abused with. It's spot on. Actually, it reminds me. Um, you know, years ago when the Black Lives Matter um, situation started to inflame in America, and when um, uh, the the uh, the African American. Uh, guy was, you know, was murdered by the police and whatnot. And I remember when, when uh, LeBron James, you know, one of the, one of the most famous basketballers to ever play in the NBA, um, you know, he started speaking about it. They were like, hey, uh, uh, just play basketball and shut up. Stay in your lane. I, I remember that. And I was thinking to myself, they love him when, you know, he's winning rings and championships and, you know, uh, being an absolute freak. But then when... Colin, then, Colin, Colin Kaepernick, remember he started the movie. Oh, yeah, and Colin Kaepernick as well when you... Yeah, Colin, Colin Kaepernick did the exact same thing, you know, and, and people say it's like, hey, listen, you know, we, we pay you to get there and perform for us. We ain't circus monkeys, man. You know, it's about, it's, it's about you know, doing what we feel as well. Do you remember Nicky Winmar? I think we were kids at the time. They fell mm. St. Kilda. That was yeah, big. That was massive. But the media back then, the way they portrayed him was, oh, this brash you know, outspoken Aboriginals just gone a bit too far by pointing at his skin. I was a kid and old enough to remember that. Um, and then in the rugby league sense, we had Anthony Mundine. I, mean, I think they didn't like someone of colour that had a mouth on him, you know. It was all right for everyone else to have a mouth, but it wasn't right for the coloured man to have a mouth, you know. Um, and I actually like that he was confident. That see, it's the narrative that we see, um, you know, and hear about all over the world. You know, thankfully, we're starting that. Like, we can have these conversations now. Right, like this platform for this platform for us to have these conversations, and you know, people of color now have platforms and largely follow platforms around this sort of stuff. So, you know, we're getting to a place as a country, and I think, um, you know, universally and internationally, um, we're getting to a place where we're starting to challenge those old narratives that you know it was about. You know, you only speak when you're spoken to, boy. Yeah, absolutely. Even even if you look at um, the atrocities that are happening in Palestine, in Gaza, if it was for mainstream media, we would think that you know the aggressor is the victim, um, the you know the oppressor, the occupier, they're the victim. But because platforms are changing, then you know the new generation of people are not willing to sort of uh, accept the status quo or accept mainstream media. We're, we're looking for alternative. Um, places to 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 learn about what's going on in the world. We're able to see the truth, and and it's it's quite astounding. Even with with the with, with you know with the indigenous uh, issues that um, you know the indigenous population of Australia continues to face day on day. Like even in 2023, there were racist remarks towards Latrell, uh, you know, by some child by some kid in Penrith. Like, and this is a child. This kid would have learned it from somewhere, and it's probably the, from his parents. It's you the know? environment he's been fostered in. So. And, and I it's, think the voice... You made yeah. a really, really good point. You made a really good point about, about what we see and hear in the, in the media. And, and Malcolm, X, Malcolm X said something, said something perfect. Um, and, and it was, uh, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. You know, like people are always, always judged based... And, 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 and we make judgments, not with our own uh, intellect. We make judgments based on the narrative that we're fed through mainstream media. And, you know, it's evident. Um, you just mentioned about, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the uprising um, around the world, around what's happening in Gaza, 
um, to Palestinian people, you know, indigenous people. The same story that happened here, the exact same story, you know. So it's, it's, it's you know, we, we just didn't have social media to document it 235 years ago, right? But, but we have social media to document the ongoing stuff now around deaths in custody, around child removal, around all of these different things that, that we see with racism that's portrayed um, in, in the narrative that is constantly fed down our throats. And you mentioned uh, um, something there as well where you say, um, you know, you guys didn't have social media 235 years ago. And, 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 you know, it's interesting. A lot of people say, to, you know, oh, you know, if we were back then, we wouldn't have allowed it. If we were back then, we would have fought for them if we were back then. And then, you know, people say, oh, if we were around the time of the Holocaust, we wouldn't have allowed it to happen. You know, if we were around the time of Rwanda, we wouldn't have allowed that genocide to happen. You're around now, right? You can speak up on behalf of the indigenous people. You could have vo voted for the indigenous voice. You could speak up for the people of Gaza. But I guarantee you that a lot of people that are turning a blind eye to Gaza probably voted no for the voice. And regardless of whether you think it, it was the right thing for the country or not, right? You, a lot of people say, oh, you could have done this. You would have done this. You wouldn't have done that. But you're not doing it. Like, that's, that's the thing. A lot of people... They talk a lot, but when the opportunity comes, they're silent because it doesn't benefit them, or you know, there's some risk to their to some sort of money they make, or you know, they just it just it's inconvenient for them to, to talk. Um, but the opportunity is there. And like you said, man, it's you know, if and when it was you know, two centuries ago, it still happens. It still happens in wars around the world. Right. So it's you know, like it's. It's uh, it's a it's a challenging environment, but um, you know what we what we need to do is continue to just push out the truth, and you know the you know the truth will always set us free, um, you know in 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 what we do and how we do things, um, you know, and that's the biggest thing. Like, like there's so many people in this country that just believe lies and propaganda, um, of what's pushed down their throat. So, um. But, you know, it's, um, we, we, we live to fight another day and we will continue to uprise and continue to do our best and put our best foot forward every single day. Spot on, spot on. Um, I lo love your thoughts and, and uh, look, I think, you know, you've eloquated them perfectly. You know, as you say, the Indigenous struggle, um, you know, the, the struggle for freedom, the struggle for, um, for self-determination is one struggle all over the world. Um, I want to go just pivot a little bit back uh, to rugby league, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask you some of the things uh, around the NRL. Um, the NRL has changed a lot over the last 10, 15 years since you've played. What are your thoughts on the NRL um, as it is today, its speed, its aggression? Um, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I just want to sort of ask your thoughts on rugby league as a sport today. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the athleticism and, you know, the I guess there's still brutality of it, like because it's so much faster and these athletes are so much stronger. That's, a, you know, it's a key word of what I said there, athletes. Like uh, everyone is, is um, you know, a professional athlete in what they do now. So they train, they train you know, five days a week um, and they train, you know, two and three times a day. So so the the, the body type of these guys and, these, and then now with the NRLW and even the AFLW, um, the the body type of these athletes is just incredible. I remember I went to a game, uh, it was early, earlier in, in 23, um, because it was a, uh, sorry, it must've been last year. It was a game, it was a game last year because it was a 20 year reunion for our um, Jersey fleet um, side that won the comp. Thanks for costing us that win, mate. <laughs>
<laughs> with the roosters, right? Um, and um, I, I, I looked at we, we stood it as a bit of a guard of honor um, for the for the first grade team that run out, and I looked at these guys and I was just like, holy hell, they they are massive. Like so, so the the biggest difference is is you get little me who's like four foot nothing, um, playing up against. You know, you see halfbacks now, and I and I guess you know I'm I'm the ex um, South Sydney halfback, and then you look at say the current South Sydney halfback, say Lockie Ilias, who was there this year. Like I looked at that kid, and he's probably six foot one, and looks like he's ninety kilo. You know, I'm I, I was I was you know one hundred and seventy centimeters, and played like played at eighty kilo. You know, so I was like like the, the, these kids are massive now. Um, and they're just big athletes and, you know, fit and strong and, and professional athletes. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great game to watch. Um, I, I don't think that there's a hell of a lot of create creativity in the game now. I'm, I'm also mindful that I don't want to be one of those old boys that bag um, the NRL that's angry about everything. You know, I think it's more like just battering rams now. Not as tough as what it was when we were. Around. You're not wrong. Like, it's I'm more not, like battering ram tactics. He's right. Yeah. It's well. It's like you know. I'll tell you what it is. I guess this is my assessment of it. Is that the the top eight teams are a better version of the better, the bottom eight teams. Yeah. Just who's that's got who's got bigger and better battering rams. That's, that's how that's I see it. Anyway, right? they 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 all play the same. Every team plays exactly the same. And it's only fatigue and a missed tackle that that has the difference between between the teams. Um, you look at you look at you know the the, the bottom teams. You know you, you could put you could put a halfback in the in the in the bottom teams into the, some of the top teams because of the forward pack is different and the number of good quality players in that forward pack is different. That halfback's going to go a lot better. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how Luke Brooks goes this year over at Manly, right? Because there there is potentially a top eight forward pack, right? With it, with a kid that that played as a bottom eight play, uh, bottom eight team and a bottom eight forward pack. You know, it'll be interesting to see the difference with that. You know, and you know, there's you, you only got don't like my dad always says to me, and I always say to my kids. Um, don't don't look at how the halfbacks go and look at how the forwards are going, right? And if your forwards are going backwards, there's every chance that the, that the halfbacks not playing any good, right? And then you you have a look at the pressure that that halfback comes under with the media, with with everyone. Like everyone was, you know, on on, on the case of of halfbacks in the bottom four teams, but they didn't speak about the forwards. You know, when when halfbacks rely on forwards to go forward to get the work done. It's a great point that you make. Um, you say there's a lack of creativity. Do you think it's a pro- that's a problem because of the the rules and the way the game is developing, or is it because there's a half there's a halfback drain? Like we just don't like it's taking too long to develop good young halfbacks um, into sort of world class halfbacks. We we don't we don't develop good young halfbacks because it's coached the skills coached out of them at a young age. Like you, you go, you go out to country footy, right? And there was so many good players coming through in, you know, the the nineties and early two thousands from the bush, and and like they are they are great, skillful, you know, um, you know, super athletic kids that can, you know, turn turn a turn a, a game on on its head just through pure skill. That 
it's 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 all coached out of them now, you know, because because again, the same systems come from down to the top. So so if, if I'm going to send a kid, if I'm going to send a kid from from here in Dubbo where I'm at that I'm coaching that it's a super gifted, got great talent, great vision as a kid. If I send him down to a club, the club will coach that kid the same way they coach in their first grade. So like all the systems are the same because the kids go through the programs, right? So the same, the kids in the under 16s are being coached the exact same way that the kids in the first grade are being coached. And you have a look at like we're, we're talking about expansion, expansion of the NRL. I don't, I, I, I'm not someone who who advocates for expansion of the NRL because I don't believe now there's enough quality NRL standard players playing in the first grade now. And that's why you see that's why you see teams like you like you get the teams that are at the bottom of the table are pushing kids into first grade that aren't ready. And they're getting their opportunities in first grade well before their time because there's just not enough. To, I don't, I believe there's just not enough talent out there. Yeah, I agree. Like Canterbury in this year, because of obviously the, the lack of a good top 30, we had to debut something like 10 or 11 youngsters, many of them probably a couple of years too early. Like first one that comes to mind, for example, is Carl Oluwapu, who the Bulldogs bought from Brisbane. You know, he's 18. Uh, he's got neck issues and maybe out for the next year with with uh, because of a neck surgery. Like for me, that's that's a symptom of being debuted too early. But we had no players. Then you look at we also debuted someone like Khalid Rajab, who maybe debuted a year too early. So like I, I do agree with you, I, but I also I'm also of the opinion that I don't think the game can stagnate. I think that things need to happen simultaneously. Like. I'm a strong advocate that there needs now that there's a 17th, there needs to be an 18th team, but it can't be in, in Brisbane or, or in Queensland or New South Wales, it needs to be in Perth. And there needs to be proper investment in grassroots development of plays to come from Perth, not just, hey, let's go grab whatever talent we have in Sydney or Brisbane and move that across. Do you know, do you know, I think that, do you know where I think the standard of the game went? And these, again, like I'm no expert with this sort of stuff. I'm just someone who, who, who played a little bit and and you know who who loves looking at the game and and actually went away from the game for a long time and didn't even watch football to now actually being back involved in coaching and, and enjoying you know, working with young kids i tell you where, in my opinion where the game went uh i i feel that the standard the standard of play dropped was when we cut the national reserve grade competition. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Spot on. Like the fact that we the fact that we've got kids that are 20 year old going into first grade and if they're not in the under 20s or if they're not in the top 30, right? Then then they're playing park footy on, you know, on on zero cash then then you know, like there's no there's no investment in that. I believe we should have an under 23s competition. Do you remember right, that? Because then that way, right? If you got an under twenty threes, yeah. If you got an under twenty threes, or even, or even then, or even then, the reserve grade competition, right? And then put investment into that, then you're not having kids going from twenty year old, where developmentally they're just not ready yet, to go and playing the rigor of NRL footy week in week out, where you know, like I, like I played forty nine games, right? And I still, I, I still don't think that I had, I had the full rigor of what it takes to be an NRL player, week in, week out, mentally and developmentally, you know, from a 
from a physical standpoint, but then even more so from a mental standpoint. You know, it just takes so much for these kids to get up week in, week out, right? And then we are critical of them when they don't perform well every single week. Like developmentally, I'm talking about brain-wise here, developmentally, they just don't have the mental capacity to be able to do that. How tough was it going to, I know South had spent a few years out of the comp and then they came back in and they were cell dwellers for a while. But how tough was it joining a club in a total rebuild phase? They hadn't played finals. I think you ended up playing finals with them. Yeah, one game. I think so. Did he play? Did yeah, you play? Yeah, yeah one game. But, but you know, yeah. when you, I mean, such an, but how tough was it? They hadn't played finals for, I think, almost two decades. You know, they didn't play finals in the 90s. I remember that clearly. And then I think under JT, you guys made the finals, but you would have been thrown in the deep end through such a rebuilding phase. I think he's went through Craig Coleman, Langmack, Sean McRae, JT. I might have missed another coach in there, but I mean, how tough was that, basically? It would have been... Every coach I had, every coach I had in all of my career got sacked. Yeah, that's just so tough on them and tough on you guys. Like, but then look, like, like, it's super tough. And you look at, you look at, you know, what the, the rebuild phase there, like you were just talking about, and having i tell you what it was like well remember when remember when um and this was a big big conversation at the time but remember when when russell and peter holmes accord took over the club what russell crow and peter holmes accord right in 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 07 at the end of 06 it literally went from night and day with that club overnight like we were like i remember times when when we were training at redfern oval and then, you know, and then we were training full-time at, at, at Erskineville over when Redfern was being redeveloped. Um, and, you know, like, it, like literally that off-season went from, you know, the, I think they laser-leveled the field, um, you know. So we had, and then, like, decked the gym out with actual, like, uh, like, uh, like, like machinery that you can, you know, you can record data and things like that, like, like we went from a place that just had a you know a few weights and things like that to. I remember, you know, yeah, I remember Redfern Oval playing some uh, few junior rep footy games there, mate. I think seats were missing from the grandstand. The hinges were off the doors in the dressing rooms, and the bar, it was just ridiculous. Like normal, normal like park, um, like toilets were better off than Redfern Oval. Like it was so bad. But then, like you said, when Rusty and Peter Holmes of Court came in, they literally it was overnight. They went from a club running off raffles to probably one of the glamour clubs of the NRL. They are one of the glamour clubs of the NRL. Yeah, and you look at it now, they, actually, they won the grand I, final. I, I say this the with respect. I say this with respect to the staff that were there um, because I because I still talk to some of the staff that were there. Um, so I, And I have immense respect with them um, with the resources that they had at the time. But we went from we went from a semi-professional outfit to, an, to a professional outfit overnight. You know, as far as as far as um, the the resources for training, um, equipment, um, you know, things like that, and then you know that's when in 07, you know, things started to turn around. You know, we I think it was a, the first time in twenty odd years that we made the semifinals and so forth like that. So it was, you know, it was you know, it was good times. Um, uh, you know, there was a there was you're looking back at you know sliding doors moments in your careers. Um, in 07, um, there was a there was a, a conversation that that was being had 
it was like um, you know we're gonna we're gonna skim the top off off you know some of the some of the players' contracts so we can then um, you know reduce those playing contracts so we can then be able to get you know have the money spare to get a marquee player right. Um, and I was offered one of those contracts, and it was a two year two year extension, um, and it was actually on less than I was on. Um, and uh, in conversations with those close to me, I won't name names or, or anything like that, but it was conversations with people who, who um, that I trusted at the time, um, said, "No, Joe, let's let's hold off and and let's push him and let's get a bit more money." Um, and then I was dropped. I was dropped to reserve grade that next week. It's hard to get a good decent contract when um, you're playing in reserve grade. Um, thankfully, I fought my way back into the team. I made I made the uh, you know I, you know we we made the semifinals and stuff like that. Um, and um, yeah, but but that next year I, I signed with Penrith for you know it was close to half of what I was on um, the year before. You know, so sliding doors moments where I was offered a, an extra two years at South and um, some people that were advising me at the time um, said, no, you're on more than that. We'll get more out of him. And then bang, I was back in reserve grade, you know, within a couple of weeks. Jeez. So, so you ended up at the Bulldogs after that and you played two games. Um, oh, was he there during, um, were you there when Sonny was still there or we had departed? Let me tell you this, right? It was like a funeral. Oh, right? like, like I came there and I came there, right? I think I, I signed I signed on like the Thursday, right? I signed the deal to come from Penrith on like the Thursday. Right? The sign goes through, clearance goes through, all that sort of stuff. And then and then we were playing, Bulldogs were playing the Gold Coast on the Friday. Right. So I get a call, I get a call um, at you know ridiculous hours. Joe, your 18th man, you've got to get to the airport. You're coming up. You're coming up because one of the players is crook, right? So I was like, "Holy smokes!" You know, like I was like, I'd literally signed 24 hours before. I went up there and um, I trained. I did the last ball work session, captain run, all that sort of stuff with the first grade team. But then the player was Aaron Groom. Uh, he actually he actually was okay and actually played. Yeah, like he had something wrong. I think it was a, a stomach issue or something like that. Um, and then he actually played, and that would have been my chance to play on the edge with Sonny, and then Sonny left that weekend. Wow! Yeah, so he literally left that weekend, man. I think you guys were two points outside the eight when he left, and then end up getting the spoon after yeah, that. Yeah, got the spoon that year. But I mean, it was it was the whole NRL was just in in absolute shock after he left, like. That, that was one of the probably one of the biggest moments in, in NRL history. Oh, Sonny Bill just upped and left. Like, I wasn't in shock. <laughs> yeah, maybe not you, but as a Bulldog supporter, I was in shock. I was, I was heartbroken. It was just so many things that. Mate, I, I remember it. I remember it. And like, I'm, I'm literally driving to training and all this stuff on the radio, and I'm going, like, surely he was with us like 48 hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It came out on a Saturday. Like, like we go to go to training, go to training like the Monday or, or the Tuesday or whatever it was, and like we'll just like, like and and bear in mind, I didn't know a lot of these boys because I only got there. You know, you would have loved to have played with him. Seventy-two hours prior. Jeez, at the peak wow. of his powers. So, 
what was it like at the club? Like, what, what, how were the like the admin staff and the coaches and stuff sort of handling it um, when Sonny had left? What, what was the like? What was how did how did they communicate this stuff to you guys as players? It was like it was very hush hush. I don't. I, I actually don't recall. I actually don't recall the conversation. Um, as I said, I'm a little bit punchy, but I actually don't recall the conversation that was had. Um, you know, with the playing group. Um, I, I may not have even been in the in the like in the top squad as far as the training goes. You know what I mean? So like it was it was one of those things where it just all happened so fast, and then we were reading about it more so on on you know on on online and 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 listening to it on the radio and stuff like that. Um, you know, for that. So it was it was just it was just a real weird moment. Um, and then yeah, like it was it was a challenge. Um, you know, as you said, I. I only played two games that year, um, which was which was you know it was it was disappointing because um, you know I I wanted to go over and, and back myself and things like that and it just you know I, I will say that 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 I was um, that I'd had enough by the by by that season um, and it was when uh, that's when I started to go hey that's when I started to do a little bit of work with Johnny Lewis. Um, I'd done some work with Johnny previously, um, the, the the previous season when I was at South, and he actually uh, he actually because he's a you know he was a uh, an old Newtown man, but um, you know he, he had some connections um, you know with the dogs and stuff like that. So he was actually you know he was actually having some conversations around that as well, and he's you know around you know Joe should you go should you not go um, you know so it was it was one of those sort of um, I guess really weird times. Um, and you know that's when at the end of that season well towards the end of the season i was like i'm gonna start dropping some weight um because you can't box it where i was boxing uh where i was playing um and that's when after the season i was like i'm gonna have a fight johnny you know like it was like you know firstly he was trying i was training with johnny and stuff like that and he said would, would you have a fight i was like oh well i don't know i wasn't the world's most aggressive man um, so I didn't, you know, I, I'd always love boxing, but I'd love the art form of boxing, but I'd never been punched in the mouth. You know, like you ask yourself some questions when that happens, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a pretty cool transition. And literally, you know, we, we, uh, I think we finished in, you know, well, you know, late August, you know, we didn't make the semifinals late August. And I had my first fight in October, like, uh, well, I finished it. I finished playing in the NRL at at eighty two kilos, and I had my first fight at seventy nine kilo, uh, sixty nine kilo. Sorry. Wow. Oh, it was a super welterweight, maybe super welterweight. I, I fought at junior junior middle. My first fight. Super. Yeah, junior middleweight. Yeah. So what 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 was your defining rugby league moment? Like, what is the one moment in rugby league that you look back to and stands out for you? Ah, uh, the the one game like when the when the kids say dad put a game on um, <laughs> is is you know it's 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 probably the game that I had uh, when I played against the Tigers at Leichhardt. Um, no, uh, Dylan Dylan wasn't with us then, um, or you know he was a bit younger. He was a bit younger as well. Um, but we needed to win that game. Whoever won that game made the semis more or less. Um, and, and we needed to win that game to make the semis. And I literally remember it, right, is that we were coming – and you, you've been to Leichhardt? 
So I mean, like, have you been to Leichhardt? I've played there as well. Yeah, it's yeah. just the worst ground ever to so go to. You know, play. That, you know <laughs> that street, right? That street you come up to the gate to the yeah, really narrow, right? So we're in this bus. We're in this bus that can hardly fit up that narrow street because there's cars parked and stuff like that on the side, right? We're in this bus, and there are people because you got to you got to remember if South won, we made the semi-finals, and we'd won two or three in a row or something like that. Right, we run two or three in a row, and then we're scratching on the eight. And if we won, it cemented our spot with one game to go into the semifinals. So literally, the game sold out on Thursday. Well, it was a Sunday afternoon game. The game sold out on you know a Wednesday or Thursday or something. We were going up the, that narrow street in the bus, and there were people lined up, mate, up the street. And we were, I was just looking at the window, going, "Holy shit!" Like, this is real, right? Go into the gate, all that sort of stuff, get into the ground and, like, go, go on there. And I remember I remember the game, Nath Merritt busted his knee in, like, the opening few minutes and um, they put Tuli Talanoa back to, back to fullback. Um, but um, I, I remember going into halftime and, and Mark Ellison, who, who now works at South in the footy department, Ella was one of our assistants, and I said to Ello, I said, mate, I just can't get into the game. And he goes, what do you, what do you mean? And I said, I, I can't get into the game. It's like it's going past me. Like I just, I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting the ball or getting the calls or anything like that. And, um, and he goes, Joe, just have patience. It's all right. Trust the process. Have patience. And it was one of those things, man. Like in the second half, it was like I had spiders on me. Like that, like there, I, I was just, like I was, I was making breaks and setting up tries, and and then, but then I look back at that. Remember, I remember the conversation I had with Mark Ellison, and um, I look back at that game, and like it was one of those games where, from the opening bounce, like things worked. Like not often, not often you have those games. You know, and and I think I put I put Dino Witters through on the, and I only remember this because I I watched I like um, me 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 young bloke wanted to put it on recently, um, because uh, he found it on YouTube, um, but I put Dino Witters down the down the down the left hand edge, and and there was and I I think I set I, I threw the last pass for Johnny Sutton's try in the first half, um, you know, so like so going into half time going I, I can't get into the game. That's why Ella was like. What are you talking about, man? Like you're in the game. Um, it was just, uh, I guess it's odd to reflect on things like that as well. But um, it's pretty like you know, th- those days are long gone for me. It's not, it's not who I am now. But it's pretty cool to be able to just show my kids that sort of stuff because you know social media wasn't like it what like it is now, and you can't just track those sort of things down. So um, the fact that my kids love it is 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 enough for. You know, for me, are they keen to play footy like you, like you know, following their dad's footsteps. That's the thing. I don't want them to, right? <laughs> um, I want them like I was a halfback and I didn't get tackled a lot and I didn't make a lot of tackles, but it struggles me to walk these days. You know, so I can only imagine how blokes. I only imagine how blokes feel after ten years of playing in the front row or something like that. You know, like. Um, and plus, you know, the, you know, all the different challenges with the, the conversations that we have around head knocks and concussions and, and all that sort of stuff now. And, you know, so I understand that the game's very different now. And, but also 
the players that you hit are a hell of a lot stronger and they run a hell of a lot faster and harder. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to watch. It's cool to watch, but I can, but I can also, you know, talk to my kids about, about the other things in life, the other things that, you know, it's, it's great to have those sort of things, but without a doubt, mate, the, the work that I do now um, is far more important than, then I say this with respect as well, um, is far more important than throwing a footy around and getting punched in the head for a living. So tell us a little bit about what you do now, Joe. Uh, in, 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 I, I struggled, I struggled uh, mentally and emotionally, uh, uh, more so mentally a fair bit, um, you know, throughout my life. And it's well documented. And, you know, we, we don't need to go into, into that um, now. But I struggled, I struggled with some suicidal ideation a, a large part of my life. Um, so, um, had challenges with addiction, um, with, you know, the, the, you know, alcohol and drugs and, and things like that. And I guess I, I got, I got sober, um, when I was still at South actually. Um, so I've been sober, uh, 18 years this year. Um, and it was like, it was like I was using alcohol and drugs to silence what was going on inside my head. I'd take away the alcohol and drugs. It was like the band aid ripping the bandaid off the saw, um, you know, the, the noise got louder than ever. So, um, you know, it was, it was some challenges with that and, you know, challenges around, um, you know, some, I guess, putting it bluntly. Um, and I know that you'll put trigger warnings at this, the front of the show and stuff like that, but I shouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Um, you know, I had some really um, challenging times and experiences back in 2012 that, that, that I shouldn't be around to tell the story. Um, but we're glad you are. You know, I, had a, I had a couple of different psych ward stays and things like that, and you know, it's been a journey of journey of understanding and healing, and and you know, it's you know, I'm well on the path to doing that now. And I realised that once I started to talk about this stuff, and 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 a hell of a lot of people come up to me saying, "Hey, Joe, what you talk about, I go through the same experiences. Um, what you when you talk about it, and you normalise what it is that you go through." Um, it makes me feel like I'm not as mad as they tell me, you know? So like um, the early days of, of talking about things like that and then and then going to university and understanding and learning about trauma and, and how trauma impacts people and, and, you know, looking at diving deep into the, you know, the, the, the ongoing traumatic cycles that, that we, we're accustomed to with the way that we live and, and you know, like, as far as, you know, not spending enough time with our kids and, and because of, you know, cost of living and, and the pressures of, of, of how much we're going to live, how much it costs to live and, and then the, the, the demand on work hours and things like that. So under understanding that, like I went a lot of, like I've been in, you know, hundreds of communities around the country speaking about mental health and, and helping people, um, you know, understand the challenges that they go through to then learning deeper about trauma and understanding what trauma is, um, to then, you know, helping people um, rebuild a life through from different traumatic experiences that they've been through, um, to, um, you know, I'm now the founder of, uh, of, a, of a, a youth academy that um, it's a charity that, that works with young people to help with their identity and, and find out who they are and connect to, um, you know, the roots of who they are. So an Indigenous academy that, that we talk about, you know, culture and identity and the values of how we live and, and behave um, and how it impacts others. So 
Um, the work that I do now is far more important with that because it's it's about helping other people. Um, it's about you know helping people to be better people essentially. Um, and I coach I coach young kids out here in Dubbo, um, and I really enjoy that. I'm 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 also part of the coaching staff of the the New South Wales Aboriginal Under 16s team, um, which yeah, which which again it's about you know giving back and there's some fantastic people in that crew with you know with Dean Witters and and um, Arthur Beetson's sons, uh, Mark and Christian, and some other some other guys that, that are in that, you know, that those coaching staffs that, that you know, just, just put back and help help young Aboriginal kids to, it's not about footy, it's, a, it's also about, you know, whilst we play and we, we help educate them about playing, um, it's, it's also about life and the, 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 the challenges that we have in life and the choices that we can make um, that impact those challenges. That's amazing. Um, and we'll have links to all those different the charities and different organizations that Joe works with um, down below in the description. So please, if, if you are struggling with anything or you need help, we'll have some links down below uh, for people to check out. Um, you mentioned mental health um, quite a bit. And thank you so much for sharing um, your story and for being so uh, honest with us. I think that uh, mental health is something that you can't stop talking about. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Something that happened earlier in the Bulldogs um, team uh, around mental health and there was around some tra a training incident where someone was punished for being late to training um, and, and there, were, there were complaints about uh, training being a little bit too physical, a little, little bit too tough. Um, you know, a lot of ex-players came out and said, look, if you can't handle the training, you're not good enough to be a first grade player. Um, you know, if you're complaining about the punishments, people have copped worse and have, you know, been better for it. I'm interested um, to hear what your thoughts are on that whole training scenario and that whole training incident that happened with the Bulldogs uh, earlier in the year. Uh, what I will say is that I don't know it. I don't know. Like, I obviously, you know, you, you hear the noise about it and you, you read the different articles and stuff like that. But, you know, we play a professional game and, you know, I, I, I put my hand up, you know, and, 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 and the trainers of the teams that I'm with or even, the, I guess, the teammates of the teams that I play with, I put my hands up to say that I wasn't the, the world's best trainer when I was a, when I was a footy player. When I went to boxing, I learned how to train hard because if you don't train hard as a boxer, you get beat. And you know, I, I didn't want to get beat. So, um, you know, what what I guess what what the biggest thing is, or the biggest takeout that I could have from that is that is that Cameron Serrato's come in and he's put some standards there. Um, and you know, if 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 these people or these players aren't um, aren't abiding to those standards, again, saying these sort of things without understanding the actual situation but if the coaching staff have standards and the players ha um, have standards and everyone's got to hold hold each other accountable to those standards so um, again not knowing a, a great deal about the, the the situation but we play a hard sport we play a hard sport that that takes a hell of a lot of hard work to do um, as far as you know I, I don't know how that how mental health and well-being came into that. What I do, what I do, and will say is that we need to be more aware of the impacts of external factors of our life that impact us whilst we're at training, right? Because I do recall um, times for myself personally and players around me, if they've had a shit day at home, then they're going to come and perform shit out. You know, so what what we need to do as as coaches, and it's one of the best things that I think um, one of the I spoke about it on a podcast recently as well, is that why I love coaching so much 
is because I identify the kids' behaviors long before that they even walk in the door. I can tell. I can just smell it on them. I can see the way that they walk, the way that their shoulders are drooped, the way that they say hello, if they smile, if they don't smile. I can tell there's some stuff going on inside their head the minute they walk through the door. So I'm not going to absolutely smash and bash and demand that kid to be at his absolute best when I can see physically that he's being impacted mentally and emotionally, right? What I will say is that we have standards and I'll pull that player aside and say, listen, is everything okay? What's going on? Let's have a yarn about that. Um, and then, you know, and try and coach that that young person through those tough challenges. Um, the, the, so what, what I think we need to be more aware of is what, what young people are bringing into the into into the training park, you know, and 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 this is I this can bring bring up some controversy as well because you know you know you leave that at home and don't bring it, but there's some stuff that you can't help, like, like there's stuff that we all go through, you know, marriage breakdowns, loss of loss and breakup of families, like this stuff impacts you every day and is going to impact the way that you perform. So I think you know if we can have more of a relationship with our players and um, understand that we have uh, responsibilities and we have standards inside the four walls of a footy club or inside the four walls of a team. Uh, if we hold each other to those standards, um, but if we have some, some reasonable challenges that are going on in our life, let's start to get around each other so we can help each other get through those tough times so we can be then performing at our best. I think, I think it's spot on. Um... I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I'm going to end with, with two questions um, that I think you might like. Firstly, how do you think the Rabbitohs are going to go in 2024? Uh, with, with Jack White in there, they've, they've certainly bought well. Um, and again, like <laughs> people have been critical of Lockie Ilias, but I think Lockie Ilias, um, as a halfback, um, and, and someone who, who was a player of that team. I think Lockie Ilias was, was forced into first grade 12 to 18 months before he should have been because they were banking on Reynolds being there a little bit longer, right? So, so the, 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 there's probably a little bit of pressure on Lockie Ilias to now perform. You know, like, as I've mentioned, you, you probably don't become a really seasoned player until, you know, 40, 50 games in. Right, so um, to be able to run a team and and physically manage the team and have the experience of doing that, he's been there for a couple of years now, so the pressure is going to be on. Um, but also having someone like Jack there, again, another state of origin player, another international player, um, is only going to add um, some punch wherever he plays, whether he plays in the centres or plays at, you know, I. I don't know where he might play. In the, he might play at lock. Um, someone like me, I'd, I'd I'd play him in the back row um, because you know he, he's a, he's someone who's an extra extra six. You can throw him the ball early, and then he can play on the edge. Um, you know, with 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 his centre at the line or Latrell sweeping around the back. Um, it's exciting. Um, you know, I, I'm just excited to see some of those some of those young kids as well develop. You know, the the, the young lock. Um, is it is it Duncan? Yeah. That, that um, debut this year. I like the look of him. Yeah. Um, I like the look of him. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting, you know, like, and, and mate, Cody just seems to get better with age. Um, it's uh, those experience things and, you know, like he just, he's got all the, he's got all the time in the world, Cody. Um, it'd be interesting what they do. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I, I think they bought well. Um, so it'd be interesting how they go. I'll tell you what though, um, what I will say, and I don't know. No, let me say this after your next question. Let's go to the next question. My next question is, uh, you know, how do you think the Bulldogs are going to go with some of the signings that they've made in 2024 and will they improve? Wooden spoon. That's exactly why I said, let's go after this question. Cause I knew that being a Bulldogs man, you would have ended with the Bulldogs question. <laughs> um, uh, so here's the thing, right? Is that if I've got any kid that shows ability that comes up to me and says, Joe, I've got X, Y clubs chasing me. Who do you think I should go to? Nine times out of 10, I say go to the Bulldogs, right? Because have a look what I believe this is, and this might, you know, cause a bit of controversy as well, but I believe what the, 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 and I've been saying this to you. Know, you guys know that I'm I'm very close with the Hussein brothers, um, who were my boxing coaches, and I, I I boxed with those guys for a lot of years, um, and they're absolutely staunch Bulldogs um, people. And I said, have some patience. It's turning, and they go, what do you mean it's turning? Like it's like it's it's hard. It's a hard road, Joe. When you uh, go it's very tough way, as a doggy supporter. It's a hard road, and I'm like, the success of Penrith now was built by Gus 10 years ago. No, I agree. Agree. Right? Yeah. 100%. So you have a look at what you have a look at what what Penrith are doing now. I believe Gus is doing that at the Bulldogs now. And you know, my, people might say that I favor Gus a fair bit, but but what I will say is that with Arthur Beetson, Gus was the one who signed me as a 13-year-old kid. Right? So I've had a good relationship with Gus for a lot of years. Yeah. Right? But I believe he's the smartest man in rugby league. So, so with 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 that being said, I think that they are that they are building beautifully. Um, you've only got to look at the under 16s, 18s, 20s competitions. I think they're 16s, or are they 17s, 19s, 21s now? You've only got to look at those competitions. Where did the Bulldogs finish in those competitions? Oh, yeah, right at the top. One SG ball. Uh, we're leading New South Wales Cup for a good period of time. And, you know, they, they've bought a lot. They've recruited a he's lot. Won, he's won Fleek as well. Yeah, we went just, yeah, that's right. Um, and Harold, Harold Matt. So, no, you're right. It, it is building nicely, 100%. So I said to the Hussein boys, just have some patience. The problem with football fans is that they want success now. Yeah, no patience. Right? And, and, and so every single kid that I have come to me and say, Joe, where should I go to? I've had kids that come to me and say, Joe, I'm getting offered more money to go here. I say, don't worry about the money. You're going to make that up later. Go somewhere where developmentally you're going to be looked after. They've just signed the probably the hottest coach on the market in Cameron Serralo, right? He ain't going anywhere for a number of years. And he's going to have the place humming the way he wants to, which is, again, he's learnt off a very good system out there at Penrith. And well, the right. best, probably so, the best ever system, really, if you think about how successful they've been. So you have a look at that. I say that um, the Rabbitohs are my favorite team, uh, closely followed by the Bulldogs at the moment. And they haven't been that, I will say as well, right? But obviously because I'm I'm close with the Fox and, and I still get along with Gus really well, um, 
I, 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 I talk to any, I talk to anyone, young kid, and and the, the two clubs I say to go to, I say, um, you know, obviously speak to the Bulldogs, but obviously, but then then I say go to the Rabbits. Well, that, that brings a big smile to my face, man, because uh, you Finally, know. Yeah. Always, <laughs> any any support for the doggies is is, uh, is hey, a big tick in my books. Joe, growing up, um, yeah, which indigenous players did you look up to? Like, who are your favourites? Or it's pretty cool. I was asked this recently. They said, "Who was your favourite player growing up?" I actually got to play against my favourite player growing up in the NRL. Right, my favourite player growing up, which who took me under my wing a little bit when I was coming through at the Roosters, and then I played against him when he was at Manly, was Andrew Walker. Wow. Oh, what a star! So, um, yeah, he was a star. Yeah, so I like he him him to him to watch was just like poetry in motion, man. So smooth, and you know you look at you look at what he did athletically on the training park, um, and then as a you know dual international Australian rugby league Australian rugby union, um, I was so I was just you know and you know I've got a friendship with with up now and, and, and um, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a champion guy that I think is still playing in the bloody Corey knockouts now. So um, he, he's just one of those, he was one of those guys that I just looked up and, and, and thought was, was a brilliant player. And I was, um, you know, I was lucky I got to play against him. You know, I remember at St. George, Walker was there, Andrew was there before we went to the Roosters. So you had him, you had Mundine, mm-hmm. you had Ricky Walford, you had um, Jeff Hardy. Blackmore. Blacklight came towards oh, the But that, I think St. George yeah, at one stage mate. had five or six Indigenous brothers in there. And, you know, I just thought we were the most Indigenous club back in the 90s. But That's why they had Curry Corner out at Cogra. Remember that? Yeah, uh, it was a little mini grandstand or something. And you see Anthony's dad out the front, you know. <laughs> and he just had, um, you know, it was about, you know, you just have all the oldies that would sit in it from the Indigenous community. You know, so. And also so. In, the, in, the, in the change room as well, the brothers used to get together. So Oh, um, I saw about a little mini grandstand they made or something. It was uh, uh, it was actually where I first started watching Andrew Walker was when he was at the Dragon. Wow! Um, yeah, he had a big boot on him. Oh, and and you know what? The the other guy who who I used to absolutely love going and it just come back to me now um, was Scott Goulet. I used to love watching Scott Goulet. Remember Scott Goulet? Big lock. Oh big yeah. Tall lock he was. He played, he played at St George and he played at the Roosters as well. And I was lucky. Um, signed at the Roosters as a kid. They used to bring me down a fair bit. So I was lucky I got to mix with these guys. He was another Jew international. Yeah, yeah. So um, now lucky that lucky that I got to that I I got to uh, play with and against um, some of my favourite players. Um, my first my first first grade trial, um, I was playing inside Brad Fittler, which was you know a bit of a a story a story for that. You know, like um, halfback tells you what to do on the field, right? Um, so, you know, I'm getting out there and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm only a young kid and I'm shooting orders around and stuff like that. And Freddie goes, all right, we're going right. And I'm like, no, we're going left. And then I was like, holy shit. I just went against what Brad Fittler said. I had this freeze moment and looked at him and he goes, you heard Joey, we're going left. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Good that's old Freddie. Freddie. That's awesome. Freddie, the motivator. Um. Joe, I just want, so, to, I want um, to thank you so much for taking the time this evening. Um, it's been such a mad discussion to have with you just about all things rugby league, life, topics. Um, is there anything you'd like to close off with? Anything you'd like to say before we, before we, uh, we end, the, end the chat? 
Man, I will say that um, obviously the work that I do now, I, I value highly as far as um, the work that I do in schools and, and the new academy that I've just founded. Uh, it all comes back to what we do with our young people from young ages. Um, right now, the way that we live is just not conducive to how we should be developing and growing as, as healthy and happy human beings. Um, we're spending less time with our kids than we ever have. Um, we're eating uh, like we're eating unhealthy, the unhealthiest we've ever eaten. We move less than we've ever moved, um, you know, and, and, and we're, mo we're more disconnected than we've ever been. You know, so um, what we need to do as a as a as a as a race, as a people, um, we need to come back to our village. We need to build our village again, and you know, grow our kids up in happy, healthy homes um, where they where they are loved and valued. Because the challenge that we're having now, with a lot of the work that I do with the kids around the country, is that we have broken little kids in the bodies of adults. And those broken adults are then raising broken little kids. So what we need to do is start to do the work on ourselves and start to identify the challenges that we have and sit with the discomfort and understand why we are the way we are, you know, and understand that and then start to do the work on ourselves. Um, because I believe that human beings are one of love and what we need to do is start to build our village to be able to connect with each other so we can live happier and healthier and longer. Thank you so much. And uh, again, I'll provide all the links to um, Joe's Academy and all the charity work that he does down below. So please have a look at it. Um, thank you once again, uh, Joe, uh, for coming. I think, you know, the discussion was awesome. We'd love to have you on again uh, anytime um, that you're free or yet you have some time. We'd love to have you back on there again. Um, thank you so much uh, for the chat and we look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks, brothers. You take it easy. Pleasure. And Thanks, go the rabbits. Go the dogs. Go the eagles. <laughs> go the dogs. Free Palestine. We'll Thanks, see you Joe. again soon. See you, lads.